The Sin of Murmuring on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. I'm so grateful for this time of year, the changing of seasons and the changing of the colors of the leaves. Uh, It's so refreshing to me. I don't know how you all take it, but I love this time of year. And my heart always definitely starts to turn into uh, this attitude of thanksgiving, looking back over the year and being grateful for the things the Lord has done. And I'm excited even this week we have with us on the podcast um, my Former pastor, Dr. Stephen Yule, is with us. He now leads up at uh, Heritage Bible College and Seminary. He's the vice president of academics uh, there, which is up in Ontario, Canada. So grateful for his ministry personally to me during the the days that that my family sat under his his ministry. And so grateful for uh, the man that he is and the way that he loves the Lord and loves the scriptures. A few other things about him. He's married to Allison. He's been an ACBC member for several years. He also teaches at, at Southern Seminary. Many of you may uh, have run across Dr. Yule through his ministry at Southern. I'm just so grateful for this brother and his love for uh, love for the Lord, his love for people, the way that he shepherds people uh, in his teaching. He's a very gifted teacher. But also he has a, a love for the Puritans, and I really appreciate that. And I want to talk to him about some of those um, resources even today as we talk about this issue of of murmuring. And, and Dr. Yule, it, it is really interesting as we get to this time of year, we sort of see these two extremes of, yeah, we, we have a heart that wants to be grateful. We want to look back at the things the Lord has done. But sometimes we find ourselves grumbling and complaining and, and murmuring, as as it were. And, and this is something that's quite antithetical. It, it, it is an opportunity cost of you know choosing to uh, be content in the things the Lord has given us or to be grateful. Uh, or we find ourselves definitely grumbling and complaining. I, I want you to talk for just a second uh, about what we see maybe as this rise in grumbling, murmuring, complaining, or or even made righteous as we say, man, I'm just venting, and we think that is a, a good thing. What, what do you make of this rise in in this murmuring? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be with you. It is a fascinating topic, a fascinating discussion. Has there been a rise in grumbling, venting of late? You know, it's it's hard to tell. I think part of the issue might be social media. It gives such a an opportunity for people to say what they're thinking, which they did not have, but ten years ago. And even the even the medium itself, I think, can uh, lend lend itself to exasperation mm-hmm. and compound the problem. Yeah, we, I mean, we live in unsettling days. We live in unsettling times. Some have said we live in revolutionary times. Lots of change swirling around us. And lots of times, lots of things occupying our attention and vying for uh, supremacy in our lives. And when we find ourselves not focused on the Lord and we find ourselves not consciously practicing Thanksgiving, our default position will be will be grumbling. I mean, it is something we all we all struggle with. Uh, Thomas Manton, Mm. you referenced the Puritans earlier. He described it as the scum of discontent. And the vent of impatience, uh, those are pretty stark descriptions, but it is a, a reality that we can't, uh, we can't deny. I, I think it is just something we struggle with, is, is living, what it means to live daily in a posture of praise and thanksgiving, and as opposed to being overwhelmed 
by our circumstances and falling prey to the, oh, the heartbeat or the temperature, let's say that, the temperature of the society around us. Mm. Man, that is so true. And it, this is one of the uh, the sins, I think, for us in the modern church where uh, we have a tendency to to recognize it when other folks are struggling with it. Uh, and mm. sometimes we're not honest with ourselves uh, when, when we see ourselves being discontent about the things that are around us. And we have a tendency to sort of justify uh, these ideas. And mm. I, I think that in and of itself is certainly self-deception. And I think it's something we have to be aware of. So I, I think it's good for us to maybe pause and just ask, first of all, what is it? What causes this issue of, of murmuring and discontentment? What What makes it so serious? And I think that'll help us recognize a little bit more when, when we find ourselves doing this, not passing this off as, you know, someone else's yeah. sin. Uh, so what are these things? What causes it? What is it? And why is it such a serious deal? Well, in terms of causality, I think there's a lot going on. From my reading, the Puritans are a great resource on this. They, they, they speak to it in numerous works. They recognize, is it a real problem in their own day? So they're, they're, they do provide invaluable insights. And as I've gleaned from them, and I agree with them. They seem to narrow it down to five major causes. I mean, the first is pride. The first sin we put on at the fall, pride. Uh, when we set too high of a price upon ourselves, we are going to struggle with a measure of discontent, which um, will invariably lead to grumbling. Uh, impatience. I don't know about you, but I resent inconveniences. Uh, we expect things now, and we expect things to work always. And um, impatience. Uh, can really foster that spirit then of murmuring. A presumption is something else they point to. We tend to think we deserve more or at least deserve better. And so if that is our starting point, if that is our basic operating system whereby we presume that we deserve better or deserve more, when that desire is crossed, that expectation isn't met, is going to lead it to grumbling, greed, is a fourth factor at play, certainly, when we desire something too much. And uh, number five is actually the greatest. This is, this is the one the Puritans would, would point to as the chief cause of, of grumbling. Uh, it's just simply unbelief. We have lost sight of the promises of God. We've lost sight of his particular providence, his care in our lives, and lost sight of his wise fatherly disposal in every circumstance of life. And so where that seed even if it's just in germinal form, takes root of unbelief and the eyes are turned away from our Heavenly Father. Um, the Puritans were adamant that grumbling will not be far behind. And it was so precarious. They, they, I mean, they, they spoke from their personal experience, but also speaking pastorally. They saw it as, as a dangerous thing because it does ultimately reveal the condition of the heart. Mm -hmm. It tells us something isn't right. Um, we've lost perspective. It's no longer biblical truth that's in, informing. Our, our judgment, they would have affirmed that grumbling indicates to some degree we've lost sight of God's matchless grace. If grumbling is replacing thanksgiving, then obviously God's grace and mercy have been minimized to some extent in our experience. And they really saw grumbling as, as dangerous and, and leading to other, other sins because ultimately it impedes sight. Grumbling causes tunnel vision. You know it and I know it. Uh, when we get into that kind of attitude of heart where we're grumbling or murmuring, become become so fixated on our current circumstances, uh, we can quickly lose sight of what's going on around us, quickly lose perspective as to what's important, what isn't important. 
And so, I mean, in terms of causes, I think it's pretty straightforward, but yeah, really culminating in unbelief and certainly why this is something that should occupy our attention and we should uh, give it some concern and serious thought is grumbling never travels alone. It always has sisters in tow, things like bitterness and resentment, malice and anger, and it can really become a domino effect and uh, lead us to, to other sins. And one of the things that you mentioned is, is um, unfortunately, we're very well acquainted with uh, with these types of causes, even in our own life. We're, we're, we're very well acquainted uh, in your illustration with, with some of these sisters as well. And and those sisters often indicate, right, when we're bitter, that, that there is a, a seed of discontentment somewhere, that we're, we're lacking gratitude, we're lacking perspective from, from God on His promises um, and how they matter right now in this particular situation. Uh, whatever is face, whatever we're facing, no, and we're not the first people. Right? I and mean, this is a, a human problem. Uh, we're not the first people to to deal with this issue. I mean, we look back at the Apostle Paul, for example, and he uh, he's learning this process of of how to be content in whatever situation he finds him in. I find that encouraging. He's he he learned uh, this process, so can't take a snapshot of our lives. Uh, but even further back than that, we we hear this idea of grumbling, certainly with the the children of Israel, the Israelites. Uh, and they they certainly were known for grumbling, particularly in the wilderness. And uh, why would you say that they grumbled so much? And what are some of the things that we can glean from them and learn from some of their mistakes in, in the ways in which they grumbled? Yeah, I, I've referenced it already. It was unbelief. I mean, we read that. It's confirmed two or three times in Psalm 78 that despite despite God's wonders, the Israelites did not believe. So despite everything they witnessed, the plagues in Egypt, the traversing of the sea, the theophany on Mount Sinai, and everything else that they were exposed to, and uh, all the wonders that they saw, um, they did not. They did not believe. Um, did not believe God's promises, uh, what He intended for them, um, and the plan He had for them. You know, Cain in the promised land. Uh, they were so fixated on their circumstances and the struggles before them that they wavered they wavered in faith thomas manson one of the old puritans he he put it this way the israelites could not believe that the wilderness was the way to canaan they could not believe that the wilderness was the way to canaan we need to learn from that learn from their example paul tells us to do so in first corinthians 10 10 we must not grumble as some of them did and um, do we really believe that the wilderness is the way to canaan do we really believe that the cross comes before the crown do we really believe that? Do we really believe that suffering precedes glory? That sacrifice is the way to reward. Um, and so learning from the Israelites and this obstinacy, obviously, that was so prevalent among them, but at the root of it all, as with so many of our problems, Scripture identifies it as unbelief. They just did not believe God's word. They did not believe God's promises. Therefore, it was inconceivable to them that a sojourn that was so arduous, so difficult, and so daunting in so many ways could be a good thing. And they did not, weren't fixed on the ultimate goal and the ultimate reward. And that that's invaluable for us. Um, and I think that's behind Paul's exhortation then to the Corinthians to learn from the Israelites' example and to make sure our faith is firmly rooted on God, His Word, and His promises. You know, even as we hear this, it's uh, it's sort of difficult to hear because I think we're face to face with reality of um, 
we see ourselves in in the Israelites. We see ourselves as as these types of human beings, and um, and how much we struggle. And what a call for us to be vigilant, uh, to guard our heart from these uh, these types of uh, grumblings, these types of complainings, these this, these issues of uh, impatience or uh, being myopic and not seeing the promises of God and seeing the circumstances as as more viable. Um, I think these things are difficult. Now, I want to sort of turn the corner and talk about. Okay, we we understand we're we're dealing with this struggle of murmuring, of complaining, of um, of grumbling, and we see ourselves. This is not somebody else's problem. We see ourselves. I, I have a lot of students who who will come up and say, I, "Dr. Johnson, I hear some of the things you're saying. I, I want to see this in action. I, I want to. Can I come and sit in and listen to you counsel? I, I want to see sort of how this works and." Uh, it sort of got me intrigued as I'm listening to you describe this, uh, Stephen, as, as you talk about the Puritans and how well they saw these things. Um, man, if we could sit in and listen to a counseling session, if we could observe maybe the way that they would handle one of their parishioners uh, who was struggling with the sin of, of grumbling and complaining, uh, how would the Puritans deal with these guys? I mean, how would they counsel them? How would they disciple them? How would they have advised or guided um, someone who grumbled uh, in their midst, how would you describe that? That's a fabulous question. I don't. I don't think I'm going to be guilty here of an oversimplification, but it is definitely a simplification. That as I have read them and gleaned from them, I can almost imagine a Puritan pastor sitting with someone in the context of catechizing them and dealing with this issue of murmuring and grumbling. And as I, as I have gleaned and I sort of try to lean in and imagine what it'd be like, I've, I've sort of boiled it all down to four key points. Again, a simplification, just so that our listeners are clear on this, a simplification, but not an oversimplification. I think a Puritan pastor would begin by saying, look, uh, we need to look around. We need to look around. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And the murmuring and the grumbling on the part of that mixed multitude that infiltrated uh, the Israelites and influenced them deeply. You know, we know that, um, you know, when, when whispering ceases, the, the fire goes out. And uh, I think a Puritan pastor would, be, would, would really emphasize the need to not listen to the rabble in our day. Um, grumblers, malcontents, as Jude describes them. And we, we need a better filter, I think, spam filter when it comes to our minds and our hearts, what we're listening to, what we're taking in. So many negative voices, um, great discontent, malcontent in our society. Well, if that's our daily diet, if our daily diet is social media and the talking heads, that's invariably going to have a very detrimental effect on us. I think the second thing a Puritan pastor would really emphasize is the need to look back because the Israelites forgot so quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of inconveniences in the wilderness. We know that when we go back and we read, you know, the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers. But when we really look hard, I mean, those inconveniences that the Israelites went through in the wilderness were nothing to what they, they suffered in the land of Egypt. I mean, they lost a, a generation of baby boys. Yeah. I mean, the, the, when you compare their suffering in Egypt versus their suffering in the wilderness, you can't compare the two. And, and a Puritan pastor would really emphasize that, the need to remember uh, the gospel, the need to celebrate God's miraculous provision. I think it was Thomas Manton who said, a good memory is a help to thankfulness. 
A good memory is a help to think. Reciting, rehearsing, and remembering what God has done for us and thinking back what we have been saved from, what we have been saved to. Uh, the third word of counsel, a, a Puritan pastor, I, I, I think, would give. He wouldn't use this language. This would be the, the gist of his intent, is how important it is to look ahead. Um, the Israelites spent so much time dwelling on the past. Uh, oh, that we had died in Egypt, right, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. And um, where they should they have been looking? They should have been fixed on God's promise, and especially his promise to bring them up out of the land of affliction to a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's an invaluable uh, lesson for us, that we are to hope for what we do not see. And we eagerly await for it, Paul says in Romans 8, with perseverance. And so rather than yearning for Egypt, longing for what God has promised and, and cultivating heavenly mindedness in a life of expectancy. And then the fourth word of counsel, which I think would eclipse them all, is they really would have emphasized the need to look to Christ and to daily fix our eyes upon him. It is, it is fascinating. In Philippians chapter 2, you know, Paul gives that tremendous Christological section when he describes who the Lord Jesus is and the wonder of the incarnation. You know, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took the form of a man, and suffered and was obedient even to the point of death. I mean, that is one of the highlights of the New Testament, glorious description of the Lord Jesus. And it's always fascinated me that having taken us to the mountain peak there, the very next thing he says is do all things without grumbling. Mm. What's the connection between the two? How can he give us Christology so deep and so rich and so profound? And then the very first thing out of his mouth is do all things without grumbling. Uh, there is a, an immediate connection relationship between who Christ is, what Christ has done, our appreciation of him. And uh, us putting into practice what it means to be a Christ follower, cultivating Christ likeness as seen, as made evident in this one particular area, what it means to really mortify a grumbling or murmuring spirit. And it's only possible to do so when we're living, basking, if you like, in the glory of the Lord Jesus and living in the shadow of the cross. This is, uh, I think, a really important. I, I just want us to di digest these things, and, and I want us to sort of revisit. So I hope if you're listening, you've been able to to slow it down uh, on a podcast, if you can slow the, the wording down and, and just really take in some of the things that Dr. Yule is helping us to understand. Uh, and, and I think this is important. If we want to pursue contentment, there are some things we have to get rid of. And, and I think this is important, um, and, and I want us to turn our direction uh in that way toward contentment. That's the goal. But there's some things we have to get rid of. Dr. Yule, this has been very, very helpful. It was fun sitting in on the, the counseling session as we could imagine it with, with the Puritans. So brother, thank you for your time. Thank you for using the things the Lord's taught you to, to instruct us. Oh, as always, my pleasure, Dale. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I'm so grateful for uh, men like Dr. Yule who are, are willing to uh, share the things that the Lord has taught them as they study deeply, uh, even such a treasure trove of things in the past. And uh, that's one of the things that, that I would love to see. Uh, we've seen a, a breach, if you will, in uh, the influence of uh, pastoral theology, good, healthy pastoral theology from history past. Um, I think if we look at modern psychology, it's interrupted our love for the scriptures, our love for a historical approach to, to understanding people, the vexations of their soul, 
and then biblically how we deal with that. And there's such a beautiful treasure trove of of information and work and struggling that that uh, men and women did in the past that I, I think we can dip into. And, and hopefully you you saw the value of some of that today. And so uh, we do have some of those types of resources listed on our website and folks who have taught uh, in this direction, certainly in the past. And I just want to direct your attention, if you can, today to, to our website, biblicalcounseling.com. 